This sermon was preached by Juan Kwok, head pastor and church planner of Maranatha Grace in Inglewood, New Jersey. Maranatha Grace was planted in 2010 and is seeking to reach New Jersey and uptown Manhattan with the gospel. You can find more sermons from this series and many others at www.maranathagrace.org. Please feel free to distribute this sermon to friends and family, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. Good morning. Today's scripture reading will be from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. You can find the scripture reading on the pages um, 836 and 837 in the Bibles underneath your chairs. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh call the uncircumcision by what is called a circumcision, which is made in the made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you are at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments, expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to one, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for giving us your son. Lord, we know that uh, your word tells us that Jesus is the bridegroom and we're the bride. And Lord, unlike husbands, grooms who are human, of the human persuasion, Lord, you will never fail. You will never break promise. You will never cease to love us. Lord, your word makes it clear that the gates of hell shall not prevail against your bride, the church. So, Father, we we come before you with the utmost confidence that you love us and that you are for us. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to just give us soft and tender words all the time. It means you're going to speak into our sin, expose sin, and you're going to shape and form and reform us. So that's what we ask of you today. Lord, we thank you for the grace upon which everything is built upon. We thank you for the gospel. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we finished our series in Psalm, and uh, in two weeks we'll 
will hit a series that will last, I don't know how long, maybe a year or so, in the book of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke. Next week, Pastor Eric's going to be preaching to us on holiness, correct? Yes. So let's look forward to another standalone. But today, as you see in your bulletins, um, the title of today's sermon is Made for Membership. Made for Membership. You know, there's a, a question that many Christians... Many good-intentioned Christians, young and old, struggle to understand. And my guess is that um, perhaps some of you here are also wrestling or have wrestled with this question. And the question is this, why do I have to be a part of a church? Why do I have to be a part of a church? And I'll get to why, it may seem like a jump, I'll get to why it really should be membership to a particular body, a particular church, a a local church. You might be thinking, why can't I just believe in God on my own privately? I mean, as long as I have this relationship with him, as long as he and I are chill, one of the t-shirts that I can't stand that I used to see all the time at Urban Outfitters was, Jesus is my homeboy. As long as Jesus is my homeboy, he's my homie, we're good. We have our two-way communication going on regularly, sometimes in my prayer closet, sometimes as I walk along and go through the day. I read and study scripture daily. I make the most of every opportunity to tell people about Jesus Isn't that discipleship? So why do I need the church? Well, the simple answer is this. The gospel, the Bible, provides us with a a reality that's so much grander than we could ever think or imagine. And what I mean by that is the gospel, as described, and the, the implications of the gospel, the power of the gospel, that dynamic gospel, renews us. The gospel, when we repent and believe upon Christ, resuscitates us spiritually. It brings us from death to life. It it recreates us in Christ as new creations. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. And in a very real sense, it restores our true humanity. The humanity, and what I mean by that is that identity that was lost at the fall. The identity that was meant to reflect, the identity that was meant to represent God's image, his likeness, and even even, uh, represent, kind of like ambassadorially, his powerful reign over all creation. In all his glory and splendor, that's who we were supposed to represent and reflect God. But how were we supposed to do this? It was through relationship. Relationship with him and one another. So if we look into the word of God, we will see that not only are we designed for relationship, we're also defined by relationship. We were designed for relationship, but we're also defined by relationship. Who are we? Very practically, I look around and I see... You are husbands, you are daughters, you are mothers, you are cousins, your friends, your aunties and uncles, grandmothers and grandfathers, your employees, 
your employers, your landlords, your teammates. I can go on and on, but you get the drift. It's your relationships, and these are all examples of kind of relationships in the everyday that define you, that give you a functional, practical identity. Well, there are specifics to this identity. I'm not just anyone's father. I'm specifically Madeline, Naomi, Bethany, Jordan, and Owen. Oh, got that out of order. Owen and Jordan's father. I'm Diane's husband, and I'm one of Maranatha's pastors. You all have these identities. But as Christians, what is our ultimate, definitive identity? A child of God, correct? If you're, if you're a follower of Christ, you're a child of God. And not only any old child, like third born or middle child, you are a first born child who gets the inheritance. That's who you are, individually. But you also have a very defined corporate identity, which cannot and which should not be pitted against your individual identity. And that identity is God's church. You, if you're in Christ Jesus, are part of God's church. You are the body of Christ. You are the church. So let me make this clear. We respond personally to the gospel call of repentance and belief. And we do enjoy a very rich personal relationship with the Father through the Son, Jesus, filled by the Holy Spirit. It's personal, but it's never merely your own self-defined, privatized affair with God. Why? Because God enters us into something bigger and greater than our own individuality. He puts us into the community of believers of all time, okay? Throughout all of history, God's people. But he also puts us in these local churches. Churches like Maranatha Grace, like Fort Lee Gospel, like Metro Community. This has been his plan. This has been his MO from the old to the new. From from the old to the new. What has God declared? I will be your God, plural, and you shall be my people. You find that in Leviticus, you find it in Jeremiah and all over the place. In the New Testament, Jesus teaches his disciples to direct their prayers towards who? Our Father. Isn't that amazing that He's not only the father of Jesus, he's our father through Jesus. God welcomes us, he ushers us into his community when we receive his saving grace. And Christianity hasn't morphed. Discipleship has not morphed or transformed from the first century to the 21st century. God has always been about saving, sanctifying Redeeming a people. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Let's, let's read that. Wonderful passage. It says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God, Peter seems to be saying, once you were not a people, you didn't even have an identity. But now you are God's. That's your defining, ultimate identity. This is the result of that personal salvation that I just made mention of a little while ago. We need to really understand the full scope of our great salvation. Too often we think, okay, yeah, we're saved from our sin, we're saved from Satan, we're saved from death, we're saved from all these horrible things, and that is true. We are saved from things. But the Bible makes it very clear we're also saved to things. We're saved from our sin. We're saved from the effects and the consequences of the curse, the shame, the guilt, the condemnation, death, so on and so forth. But you know what? We're also saved to righteousness. We're also saved to an empowered life of obedience. We're saved from, what else? Alienation and isolation. Apart from Christ, we are enemies of God. And we're enemies of one another. But when we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, we're not only saved from isolation and alienation, we're saved to relationship. Vertical relationship with God and horizontal relationships with others. Now, I know I'm talking a lot about church, and this might be a little nebulous for some of you, a little fuzzy, hazy, depending on, you know, where you are in your faith. You might be young, a young believer. You might not be a a follower of Christ. You might have gone to a church that never talked about members. You may have gone to a church where your membership was abused, where you faced some really authoritarian, um, you know, just, just leaders, pastors who were not caring shepherds. Wherever you are, this is what the Word of God teaches us. And we can't allow ignorance to be an excuse. We can't allow previous poor experiences where we've been perhaps manipulated or treated very badly. We can't prevent those things from from us understanding what the Word of God teaches about our life together in Christ. And for those of you who are not followers of Christ, you might be thinking, well, I I don't understand why it has to be the church. I understand community. I understand authenticity. I understand what it means to be a part of a family, and I want that. You know why you want that? Because, again, as I shared, we're designed that way, and we're defined that way as well. If it resonates deep in your hearts, and if it makes sense in your mind, despite you never opening this Bible, not even a crack, it's because we were created by the same God. So what I want to do today is really give a, I don't want to say an apologetic, but I want to make a case for membership. I want to make a case for membership that flows out of the Bible. And then I want to get into just a little bit of why we here at Maranatha Grace have a formalized covenant membership. Right? So 
we're going to get a little bit into this text. We're going to get into a couple other texts, and it's not going to be a, a you know a digging deeper or expositing, expositing of a, a particular text, but it's going to be hitting this topic of how we are members of one another because of what Jesus Christ has done. So let's get back to this text that Hannah read to us. Um, verse 11 starts off with that word, therefore. Whenever you see a therefore, not only in the Bible, but especially in the Bible, you must ask yourselves this question. What is the therefore? Yes. What is the therefore? Therefore. Well, it's therefore a very, very good reason. As Daniel read earlier, verses 1 through 9 in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about where we were and where we now are. Well, he's talking to the Ephesian church. He says, you were once here. And then he says, but, but God, but God, right? In Christ Jesus. It's a rich text that, that points to God as the author and perfecter of our salvation. It points to the sovereignty of God in salvation, It talks about the rich and merciful God because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, resuscitated us, made us alive together, together with Christ. So that's what he has just kind of taught these Ephesians, and he's he's teaching a local church or perhaps some local churches, and then he says, therefore. He says, therefore. And I want to skip down to verse 19, where he says, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. What does he say? He says, You are. Right? He goes right to the jugular and, 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 and says, this is your identity. Remember one time, you guys? Yeah, I know. I know I used to refer to you as the half-breed, you know, the, the, the dogs, right? Actually, the, 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 the Samaritans were the half-breeds, right? And sometimes the Jewish people considered the Samaritans even worse than they did the Gentiles, But the Gentiles were dogs to the Jewish people. The Samaritans were, I mean, they were despicable. They they, they would not want to be made unclean by associating, by doing business with the Gentiles or the Samaritans, or at least religious business. But what does Paul say? At one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, right, were separated from Christ. And not only have you been brought into the household of God, you share this household with the Jews. You guys are no longer aliens and strangers of one another. You're fellow citizens. Fellow citizens. This, this is a revolutionary, just turning the world upside down type of reminder that Paul is giving to these Ephesians. And it's all based upon the grace of God. It's all based upon the cornerstone, the foundation, Jesus Christ. And you know what he's saying? He's basically saying, Paul, you can't experience the fullness, 
of God's power and grace. The sanctifying power that causes you to be more like Jesus Christ if you aren't living out who you are. If you're not experiencing this one another, members of one another, life together in Christ, in a community of faith, in a church, you cannot experience this to the extent that God desires. I got this from a book that I read this past week. I actually reread it. A book by John Lehman, who was a speaker here at Maranatha a few years back for our called out conference. Uh, he's written many books. He's a part of Nine Marks Ministry. Um, I think it's going to be flashed up there, but the local church is the authority on earth that Jesus has instituted to officially affirm and give shape to my Christian life and yours. That's John Lehman. The next sentence is me, okay? The local church is for our formation and reformation. The previous was published. The latter was ne- ne- will never be published, okay? Because it's so obvious. But that is really what the local church is. The authority on earth that Jesus has instituted to officially affirm and give shape to your life and mine. The local church who we are is, is for our formation and our reformation. And so, I don't know, some of you who are perhaps real cynical and skeptical, you might be thinking, you're a pastor, and you're a pastor, one of the pastors of this church, so of course you're going to be talking about membership and everyone becoming members if we're followers of Christ, because that's going to serve you, it's going to serve the church I'm not saying that you can't grow if you're not a member of our church. What I am saying is your growth will be stunted if you are not a member of a Bible-believing, God-fearing, Christ-cherishing church. There may be churches out there. No, there are definitely churches out there that preach and teach and engage in deeper, warmer fellowship, that's more, churches that are more mature, churches that have uh, uh, just a more robust children's ministry and youth ministry, and our band is amazing, so I'm not going to even go there, but there might be a church out there, and there, no, there definitely are churches out there, and if you want to go and be a part of those churches and, 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 and go all in, more power to you. The point I'm trying to make is that the Bible teaches us clearly in this passage and in many, many more passages that the immeasurable greatness of God's power flows through life and community, flows through the church. And what I want to propose and what we have here at Maranatha is, is covenant membership. I want to propose that covenant membership is more than described in the Word of God. I want to propose to you that covenant membership is the best way for for you to get to know one another and be committed to one another. And it's the best way for you to put yourselves under the care of the pastors of this church. Care that includes accountability. Care that includes 
prayer. Care that includes just conversations and discipleship. Care that includes, not just as I was praying, the, the, the tender words that the Bible has to offer us, the gentle exhortations, but even at times the tough, biting wounds of that faithful friend. This is what church membership and covenant membership really gets into deeply. And we cherish membership here, for those of you who are new, because we believe it's biblical. And we believe that when you become a covenant member of this church or another church, we believe that you're, you're seeking to obey God and embrace his call to be one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So what I want to do is I want to give you just as quickly as possible eight reasons, our rationale, these eight reasons serve as, I'm sure there are more, our rationale for, the, for our formalized covenantal membership here, all right? Um, we'll send this out to you. It's not going to be going up there, but I'm going to give you the reasons, and I'm going to kind of just give you a highlight of what the New Testament teaches on these reasons. So I've spoken about, I've, I've, I've already alluded to the fact that we are saved into the church, the community of faith. Now this word church, ecclesia, is used about a hundred times or so in the New Testament. And it's used generally in two ways. It can mean, the, in, a, in a spiritual universal sense, the church, which is comprised of all believers throughout all of history, and that is the church universal. All the saints who have lived, who have died, who are living now, and who will live in the future, you know, barring a return from Christ, right? That's the church universal. But it also is used in a very specific, localized, even geographic manner. And it's used in that way a whole lot more than it is in the former way. The local church, the church local. Now, I've... I've almost given you a reason there, but I won't count that as one, right? I won't jip you. But um, what about church membership or formal membership or covenant membership? Does the New Testament speak specifically? Does it say, Hannah, you must covenant with a local church? It, it does not. I'll, I'll give that to you. But at the same time, there are so many truths and there are so many commands, so many responsibilities that we are accountable for in the New Testament, which would be at best minimized and at worst denied if there was no such thing as church membership, a definable church membership. So while covenant membership is not explicitly mentioned, that doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't exist because, again, there are things that almost assume that this membership, this covenant membership, existed. And, and the way that things are described and the entailments of the Bible's commands for the church and the church's life together really point to membership. So 
Let me list some for you. First, the Bible uses some really wonderful, illustrative, and rich biblical metaphors to describe the local church. The Bible talks about how we are the flock, God's flock. In Acts 20, the Bible talks about how we are the temple of God, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the family or the household of faith. Now, each of these metaphors, and they're varied, gives us a clear kind of distinction, a clear delineation, if you want to call it that, of of what is constituted, what is part of the church, who it is, what it is, what it's comprised of. If we're a body, we're the members of the body. Okay, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, go into specifics about the body parts, the nose, the ears, the eyes, the feet. And what the Bible says is that these parts of the body are essential to the body. We're essential to the body of Christ. We really are. You really are. Whether you are you know, the hair, and, you know, you've got a really nice hairdo, and everyone gets to see your hair, and you just stand out, or you've got hair like me, okay, balding, you know, male pattern baldness, and white all over the place, and, uh, but it doesn't cost me anything to, to cut it, okay, <laughs> so I spend zero yearly on my, uh, my hair. So whether you're the hair, or the eyes, or, or, the nose hairs, you are very important, very, very important to the body. Think about this. Um, let's see. Dan, welcome back from France, and congratulations, Jules and Dan. It was on Facebook, so I hope they're, they're engaged. Do you use uh, one of these devices for Bible or for anything? Okay. Now, um, you don't have to do this for real, but try it when you get home, or if you want to try it now. Take your shoes off. All right, he's not going to do it, okay? So if you were to take your shoes off and look at your feet, you would notice that there are five digits, okay, that look kind of similar to your hand. And you use your hand to navigate through this. Even, even the youngest of ours can do it, right? Try doing it with your toes. Anyone want to try? <laughs> Later. That's how important your fingers are. And yet... If there's a fire in this structure, are you going to run out on your hands? <laughs> or are you going to run out, hopefully, on your feet? And, right? With your legs. It's so important. Some of us think, oh, wow, it's the eyes, right? I mean, without vision, man, I'd be really in, in bad trouble, in, in, in you know, serious trouble. Well, what if you had, like, eagle eyes vision, <laughs> and yet you couldn't s- smell for a, for a lick. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense. But you, you just, your, your, your olfactory, right, that sense was just nil. And, and, and you saw, like, let's say, a cup of milk out there in the fellowship hall in the multi-purpose room, and that cup of milk looked pretty clean, pretty white, but 
to your eyes it looks fresh, and it looks like you could drink that with the, with the donut or the bagel, but to your nose, you can't really tell if it's fresh because you just can't smell. But it's actually been sitting out there for about two and a half days, and it hasn't started curdling yet, but it's right on... Imagine if, based upon your eyesight, you just took it and said, oh, this is delicious, and you just gulped it down. You'd be in some serious trouble. Thank goodness we have a lot of nurse practitioners and physicians' assistants and doctors here. But do you see how essential the body parts are? And do you see how when the Bible says rejoice with one another and mourn with one another, how you can't say, well, I don't need to, to mourn with the toes because they smell, right? They're always stuck in a shoe and their socks get, you know, they're, they're always in a sock, well, sometimes, Right? You can't do that. You can't say that. We're, we're one body made up of many parts. And the next time you hit your funny, your, your funny bone on the corner of a desk or something, you'll know your whole body is jolted, right? Why? Many parts. One body. This is the metaphors that the Bible uses. We're the flock. And when we hear Jesus' voice, we respond. Correct? We're the household of faith, with Christ being the cornerstone. This is who we are. Members, one of another. Is how it's described. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. The second um, reason is the meaning of the word, specific word, and this is in the text, join. If you guys were to read Acts chapter 5, you don't have to go there, but you'd read an account of how the church is just exploding in growth. Peter has preached at Pentecost, and there's like thousands of people getting saved and joining the church, joining the community of faith. And people are selling their property to give to the poor and to, to give to the church so that the church can put it towards missions and its mission. And there's a couple, Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, Ananias kept back for himself some of the proceeds, brought only a part of it, laid it at the apostles' feet, and then lied to Peter's face. And he dies. And Sapphira comes and he asks, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. And Peter says, how is it have you agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? And she dies. After this moment, uh, this moment of, 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 of fear, it must have struck fear into some of the people's lives. What happens? No non-Christians dared join the church. But nevertheless, the people around the church esteemed them highly. There, there's a word that has strong connotations of commitment, of jumping in, of being all in, to the extent that people are generous and sacrificial and even experiencing what? Judgment. As they feigned their life together, 
in the body of Christ. Another reason is the meaning of three more words that are in the text. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 23, um, Paul says, If therefore the whole church comes together. Chapter 14, verse 23. How can the pastors, the leaders of the church, know if the whole church was gathered if there wasn't some sort of understanding of who was a member, of who was a covenant member. There seems to be an understanding that the members, the church gathered, could be identified, could be defined as the church in Corinth, which was a very dysfunctional, a very sinful, a very arrogant church, but nevertheless, it was a local church church. There was some sort of accounting of membership here. Next reason. There are instructions, very clear instructions for leadership. And not just leadership in the way that, you know, leaders out in the world might lead, but pastoral leadership, pastoral oversight, pastoral care. We have four pastors here at Maranatha. And we as pastors, elders, overseers, it's the same office, perhaps a different, slightly different function involved in the word that you use. We're called to, to shepherd the flock before us, right? We're called to love the sheep of our fold, we're called to, I'm called to love this local church. If I didn't know who was a part of this local church, how do I know who to love? How do I know who to care for? I, I know that, that sounds like, duh, of course, but think about that. If you, don't, if you don't agree with church membership and you're saying, well, I'm a part of the church universal, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Does that mean that you can be cared for by Tim Keller, as well as the pastors here, as well as a pastor out in China in a house church? What does that mean, right? See, if you, if you take that logic and you just proceed with that logic, you see the difficulties that arise. It's just not workable. Or it can be workable, perhaps, but not only is it confusing, I think, I think it's unloving. It's unloving to the leaders, the pastors. It's unloving to yourself. It's unloving to the other people around you who have defined their membership, who have committed themselves to this church to not only love you, but love the others in the church but I'm talking here specifically about pastoral care and oversight and spiritual leadership. Who, who do we love? Who do we care for? Pastor John is the newest pastor here. He's, he's a, an elder in process, right? He hasn't been here six months yet, and we felt that it was just wise to have a six-month period where we get to know him, he gets to know us, and then 
We bring him before the members. The members, um, we recommend him, Lord willing, as an elder, full-fledged, and you vote on that. And Lord willing, that will happen soon. How does he know, as the new guy, who to love and who to care for? We gave him a list. And we said, here are the 115 members of Maranatha. And this doesn't mean that you don't love the other folks, I'm not saying that, who are attending, who have been attending for some time. Not at all. But according to the New Testament, according to the early church, according to church history, this has been the pattern where there has been a defined membership. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. That's a high and a lofty and a difficult calling that at times keeps me up at night, I will just be honest with you. I can't not think about the church. I can't. I just can't. Sometimes it's things I shouldn't be thinking. Most of the time it's things that I should be thinking. But I can't not think about the church. And so in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, when it says... Obey your leaders and submit to them. That's another S word that we don't like to hear, right? Last week it was S-T-U-I-P-I-D. I can't believe I spelled stupid wrong. That wasn't intentional. But this week's S word is submission. <laughs> submission is a word that you do not want to hear because you think of like the WWF or the WWE, right? With a wrestler kind of making another wrestler scream, uncle, submission, right? We, we don't want to hear that because perhaps we have had bad experiences with church leadership. Perhaps we have been manipulated or hurt, not cared for. But it says, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account Right? Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage for you. I want to know who I'm supposed to care for, because I'm going to be held accountable to that, is what the Bible says. And again, that does not mean I do not care for those of you who are not members. That's not the case. And we'll see in subsequent reasons what the Bible has to say about members and, and, and non-members. Another reason is uh, the responsibility within the family of faith. Related to this kind of care, elder care, pastoral care for members, in Galatians 6.10 it says this. It says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, talked about elders and pastors and care. Now, here's about self-care, one another's. And there's about 59 one another's in the New Testament. It says, do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Whoever walks through those doors, we better embrace them. We better reach out to them. We better be hospitable to them. We better not show any favoritism. God does not show any favoritism or partiality. He shows great favor. 
But if you're a follower of Christ and yet not a member of the church, Paul, speaking to the churches in Galatia, give them, gives them a clear bit of advice and counsel. Do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Another reason, list of widows. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul gives the pastor, the young pastor at Ephesus, Timothy, a church that he had planted, a church that he had said farewell to in, in, in Acts chapter 20, and he gives them instructions on how to care and enroll for, uh, how to care for the widows in his church. He says, I'll just read it. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. There's nothing wrong with remarrying. Paul is talking about a, a um, um, just their their priorities shifting and, and, and them looking to remarriage or, or whatever it might be to fulfill them in the ways that the Lord should be fulfilling them. That's what he's talking about. But he gives them, he gives Timothy a set of instructions. And he talks about lists. That's more accounting going on there. How why would Paul talk about a list of widows and talk about this type of accounting and not assume that there would be, how can we not assume that there wouldn't be a list of, of members, of families? Congregational decision-making. Acts chapter 15, verse 22, we read, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. There was, they, they needed to make a decision. Who would be entrusted with this very important letter that summarized the Jerusalem council? This decision wasn't just made by the apostles and the elders, but it was made in conjunction with the whole church. The whole church. Does that mean the tr people all over the place, the church universal, did they gather them from east, west, north, south? No, I, I, it's this church in Jerusalem. Next week at our members meeting, we're going to be getting apprised on just what the Lord has been doing in our church in our community of faith, how he's leading us specifically to certain ways of being on mission, update you on perhaps some of our missionaries and the people who are out there that we're supporting. Um, we can talk about M Vision 2020 is, you know, the vision that we have to plant two churches by the end of 2020. There are two candid deacon candidates, Mike Mui and Thomas Ewan. You guys were, members were sent an email about a month ago giving you a heads up on their candidacy and where they're at and how the elders have recommended, how we're commending them for deaconship, you're going to vote on that. That's our decision to make together 
as a church, a local body of Christ. Another reason, and this is a heavy-duty one, I left for last, is for church discipline. What's church discipline? Well, there are a couple passages in the Bible, a few passages, that speak of how the church purges, removes, and even expels someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ and yet is engaged in a pattern of sin that is not only hurting himself, but is hurting others or herself perhaps, and is doing some serious damage to the witness of the bride, the church, right? We are supposed to be a city on a hill, and when people see our lives and our life together, they should see what? Not perfection, but humble repentance and a desire to be more like Jesus Christ, following in the footsteps of Christ, following in his model, what he modeled, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The church is, as I shared in that definition early on, is the authority placed this side of heaven to, to look at one another and to say, hey, you're not living in line with your confession. You profess to know Christ, you profess to be a new creation, and yet you are, you are living an adulterous life. Please, and I know the words purge, remove, expel, treating him as an unbeliever sound harsh, but it's what the Bible speaks of clearly. And we treat the person in such a way after many conversations, after much prayer, after many pleas of repentance and turning away from that sin, not for the sake of self-righteously saying, we're the church and you need to get out of here and just... No, it's for the sake of restoration is what the Bible tells us. For the sake of loving that person for the sake of making it clear to that person, as far as we can see, and we can't see your heart, only God sees the heart, but as far as we can see, we don't see repentance, true repentance. We don't see the life of Christ in you. And you can still come, and you can still worship with us at this gathering, and depending on circumstances, yeah, you can, you can hit our community groups, and you can come to the, the gatherings. It, it depends on circumstances. It really does, and this is where we need the wisdom of God and discernment. But the Bible talks clearly about how the church needs to be alert, how the church needs to be loving even in these ways, where we point out sin, where we, 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 we remove people from membership, where we disfellowship them from the table, communion table, because they're no longer, from what we see, followers of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul speaks of how there's this young guy who is, it sounds like soap opera-ish, is sleeping with his, his stepmother, right? And the church just turns a blind eye. Hey, 
I might be doing that later on in life, and I'm no better than him, so I'm not going to speak out on it. Are you? No. Pastors, let's just, it, it just takes too much trouble to address. It takes too much trouble to write out emails, that very carefully crafted emails that flow out of Scripture to the church. So let's just, let's just ignore it and hope that he turns from his errant ways. No. Paul says, how can you not... Even the pagans look to this church, see this man who's, who's acting sexually immorally, and, and, and they can't even believe what's happening. What does Paul say? Put him out of the church. How can there be a way of putting someone out of the church if he hasn't been in the church, right? In covenant with one another. These are the reasons why we have the biblical reasons, the rationale why we, when we started the church, did what our mother church has been doing for many, many years, and soon enough, after we formulated a constitution and bylaws, and all, it's all in there, the whole process of, of membership, how to pursue membership, how members are received into the community of faith, the local church, but this is what we've been doing from the get-go. Because we believe this glorifies God. Because it's, it seems to us to, to obey what the word of God teaches. We did it because we believe it's good for your sanctification and ours. And we also believe that it's the most powerful way the church can witness to the onlooking world. John 13 says, by our love church the world will know by our love and they may laugh at us and mock us and ridicule us but by our love the world will know by our life together the world will know that you are my disciples so we have a covenant membership a formalized covenant membership here at Maranatha. It's a, a five-step process. I'm not going to go into it in details, but if you're interested in pursuing membership, you take the membership class. We have it in audio form format. You listen to a Gospel Foundations, it's a four-part series, four-part teaching. You have an application that you fill out that basically answers questions like, hey, when were you saved? What's your testimony? When were you baptized? Right? And then after that, if you're still wanting to pursue membership, you request an interview with two pastors. We interview you because we want to just get to know you better as well. And then after an elders meeting, we commend you. And basically the criteria is, were you baptized? Are you going to be baptized? Because that's what signified membership in the early church. In the early church, there was no, there was no, you know, nowadays... We, we take on a very consumeristic approach. Well, you know, if that worship team plays the kind of music that I enjoy listening to and singing to, I'll go to that church at 10 a.m. And then I'll go to a Redeemer's afternoon service because you've got to hear Dr. Keller every once in a while. And then I'll go to that church's community groups or small groups because, man, they get really deep, really deep, so authentic. And so I want to get the best of all these worlds and you know, just really maximize my discipleship. 
right? That, that, that's the approach that a lot of us, I can be very consumeristic in my approach towards a lot of things. Totally lost my train of thought. But this, this is the process that we have for uh, membership. And what I want to do to close this time, and for those of you who have never heard of church membership or who have had experiences that were not very encouraging or, or biblical, please come and speak with us or speak with any of the members. If you have any um, questions or, or thoughts or, or anything um, else. But I, I want to read together, well, I'll read it if you guys could just follow along, what our covenant membership looks like. Because after the interview, if we commend the person for membership, we sign off on a covenant. And this is basically what the covenant says. As those who have experienced the ill-deserved, life-transforming, amazing grace of God through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and in being in agreement with Maranatha's mission, vision, and doctrine, I understand and I embrace the following call upon a covenant member's Holy Spirit-empowered life in Maranatha Grace Fort Lee. I will humbly preserve and protect the unity of my church by submitting to the authority of scriptures as the final arbiter on all issues, by acting in love towards one another, by refusing to gossip and seeking to resolve conflicts quickly and graciously by submitting to and following the leaders. I will joyfully participate in the ministry of my church by discovering my gifts and talents and cultivating them for mutual edification and evangelism, by being equipped to serve by my pastors, elders, leaders, by developing a servant's heart, by seeking to offer prayerful discipline and accountability to one another, by seeking and praying for its growth, by warmly welcoming those who visit without showing partiality. I will faithfully support the testimony of my church by attending faithfully. Church is not about the Sunday gathering, or making it to every Sunday, but it's not anything less either. By giving regularly, generously, cheerfully, and sacrificially of my time, talents, treasure, by living a godly, holy life by the power of the Holy Spirit, by raising our families in the gospel. Remarkable. It is. But do you know what's so remarkable about these, this covenant? It's so unremarkable. This is basically what a believer is supposed to be, and the life that he or she is supposed to live out according to the Bible. That's the covenant. And that's all we're saying we're covenanting to before God and one another. Brothers and sisters, if you're thinking, praying about it, God doesn't need you to be a member of this church. The church needs you to be a member of the church. We do. We have people who are wearing 14 hats, (laughs) two or three hats, missing this gathering twice a month, sometimes even three times a month, because they're serving valiantly, especially when I preach longer than I should, in the children's ministry, when there are so many more abled bodies who can take upon themselves the mantle of membership, servant leadership, and serve. Praise team. People here will sing and then go do announcements. Last week, Phil and Elaine with little baby Ray Ray, they were here from morning 
till evening, right? I'm not saying you should ruin your, your family schedule and, and just be here all the time. In fact, we don't want to take you away from important family stuff, important missional stuff in your neighborhoods, in your schools. We want to balance well. We never strike the balance perfectly, not even close. But Phil and Elaine and baby Ray Ray here from 10 o'clock in the morning till 10.30 at night. They let out the homeless outreach. They were here for the baby shower. They were here for Nancy's farewell with a little guy less than a year old. I was so encouraged by their love for the local church and the love for the Lord. Kids out there, they they need, it's, it's not babysitting. It is the gospel being preached and taught to the young ones. John Moy was watching the game this past week. He was watching a football game. A little Ella comes up to him and says, Daddy, what is sin? <laughs> Daddy, how do I... We need people who are going to come alongside families, come alongside families and help with those kinds of questions and those kinds of needs. We don't want the same people out on the bridge doing the commuter outreaches. We want to see the, the church come in full force and be the bride of Christ on mission. I lied. I want to read one quote, and I'm going to close with that. Sorry. This is a quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. on the church. This is what he says. Give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would have not been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Sense of humor, Prince of Preachers. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should, as speedily as possible, also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on the earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone. Right for everyone. And then the testimony for God would be lost to the world. Please pray with me. Lord, I thank you for giving us your word. And I pray that you would whittle away all the unnecessary stuff and really just hit home in the hearts of those who have gathered today. Lord, I pray that you would help us remember, Lord, that Christ died for the church. Christ obtained the church through the shedding of his blood. Help us, Lord. Help us to remember that. Help us to rejoice in that. And help us to respond in faith, Lord, whether it be here or elsewhere. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Doctrines of Grace Church Planners. If you would like to learn more about Doctrines of Grace Church Planners or support our church planning efforts in the New York City area, please visit www.dg-cp.org.